0: Friends that are starting their own companies and they talk about their co-founder just like, we'll tear into them someday and just like say shitty things. And then the next day be like, all right, so let's get back to work. And <laughs> what's up everybody? Welcome to Bootstrapping SAS to Millions. I'm Mike, he's Kev, and we are the founders of Spectora. We share stories and lessons learned on this podcast about taking our business from zero to an eight figure
1: valuation. Uh, what's up Kev? What's up man? My, uh, You could probably see like a little Denver artwork in the back i'm i'm living out of my office basically uh because we're remodeling like a bathroom so it's gonna get hectic in here i'm gonna like re i'm gonna redo it to make it very presentable and like a legit like background kind of like square like yours with like maybe a couch bookshelf so that's what i'm thinking about right now I need some background new house. Haven't really, uh, decorated the new office
0: here yet. So yeah, yeah we'll be up in our background game for anybody who watches this on YouTube, which, which maybe nobody who's who knows. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So topic for today, I want to, um, kind of get back to the basics for, for people that are maybe in that early stage of, Hey, I want to start a company. Um, but there's a lot to figure out. And so I specifically want to talk about choosing a co-founder or co-founders. Um, or even taking a step back, should I have co-founders? Should I go solo? Which is probably one of the biggest decisions you can make in starting a business. It's kind of like your marriage, right? Like everything else will go off the foundation of who you're working with or not and how well y'all operate together. So um,
1: yeah, so maybe we start with just like, hey, should we have co-founders or not? Like, what do you think about that? Man, I, every time, it's, it's like once every six months, maybe I step back and think about the things you and I take for granted, just having a dynamic that works, decision-making ability to debate, like all these things that just work because maybe we're brothers and who we are and how we were raised. And then I it, it, it kind of blows my mind when I think about my friends that are solo founders or the, the, the blowups and the fallouts we've heard of. So yeah easily a top three decision that makes or breaks your future without even knowing it. I don't think there's even awareness around it. It's easy to point to other things.
0: Oh, yeah. And you hear stories. I, I think the reason most startups fail is like some sort of co-founder issues. Yep. And at least from our small sample size of friends in the SaaS space, most of them sounded like they were like the ones that didn't work out. Most of them sounded like they were rooted in co-founder issues. And um, so, so important, something that you should think about so deeply. And um, yeah, so we can dive into it. I, I think when it comes to like solo versus mm-hmm. co-founding team, to me, it's, I, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I think I'm biased. I think I think out loud. I need to talk through things to get confirmation. I think I value doing things as a team more than just like anything I accomplish on my own. Mm-hmm. And so I think looking at your own temperament is like such a huge thing. I think there's folks that very much want to have total control. Don't want to be interfered with by anybody, be the dictator of their kingdom, which is not a bad thing. You can get a lot done. You can make decisions really quickly when you don't have to have committees or discussions about it. Um, But yeah, there's so many personality factors and looking inward that I think needs to happen first. Um, What do you think on that?
1: Yeah. I'm trying to, <laughs> I think I'm by, of course I'm biased in my opinion. And my, my, my stance is, is like, I think there's more to gain by having another very solid or complementary skill set type person to bounce ideas off of, to, to really check each other. And you have um, that consistency. And I think it snowballs over time. Whereas the solo founders I've seen They have to seek, they seek it out one way or another. I don't think anyone can like not get any outside validation or opinions and then just make sound decisions. I think they have to check with someone, whether it's your customers, which should come first. But sometimes I see people turning to Twitter or Reddit or friends because they have no other outlet. And I just can't help but think how lonely that would be, man. And uh, again, 100% ownership. Yep, exactly. It's easy to think all the profits accrue to you and, and that, but I don't know, maybe I'm getting old, but it's like doing stuff with other people is just way more fun. And I think that outweighs it in my mind on top of, Oh, I can just, I don't answer to anybody. It's like, I don't even view it that way right now. So
0: yeah. Doing stuff <clears throat> with other people for sure. And we have a friend, um, Mike, maybe we'll have him at the podcast. He, he built a startup, sold to a big company, had an awesome, like, uh, you know, his, his exit is going to turn out to be really well. Once he finishes his kind of double digit millions, double digit millions. Yeah. Like, and you know, it's easy to be like, damn, you didn't have to do 50% split with anybody, but every time we talk to him, he's just like, man, you guys just, you know, it's so cool to get to work together and you get to have these talks and communication with each other, bounce ideas, have like a synergistic result. That's more than just like the uh, you know, one person could have thought of on their own. Ah, oh, sorry, my dog is whining. The garage uh-huh. is opening in the background there, um, and you know there there's definitely stuff that we take for granted, oh. like you said there. And uh, I think
1: the 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 exception would be if you're a unique individual that that very minimally relies on external validation, people knowing about your success, and you're just one million percent content with like getting results and then kind of going about your day or maybe being with your family. Whereas like, I'm a team guy, man, like success is shared success, way more fun. Even if like the bottom line is not as big. Yeah.
0: And what, what is that phrase where like, if you want to go fast, go it alone. If you want to go far, do it with others. And Mm -hmm. I think that that rings very true in the startup space where, yeah, you can, you can definitely move a lot faster. Just make instant decisions um, when you're solo early on. But I think as you, as we've grown, you know, there's stuff that we used to do, like always together and and talk. And then, but as we've grown, it's like, we've needed two of us. And now we're bringing in more really high performing individuals to just be able to do more and have more bandwidth to get big things done. And, um, that's super key. That's super key.
1: I think it prevents burnout because imagine, you know, carrying the load and doing things even to a lesser degree, but doing all the things managing sales support, you know, writing code. So to me, I think, man, the people just feel, I can almost feel the energy sometimes on Twitter of them feeling like run ragged because that feeling of doing everything mediocre weighs on you as opposed to like, I didn't have to worry about the things you were handling and doing because there's full trust there as opposed to contractors overseas, outsourcing to people overseas. You're never going to, you're never going to sleep great thinking, treating it like their baby. So what do you say to
0: people that are like, Hey, I already have a bunch of money. I'm just going to hire like really strong performers to oversee some of these things. Like, do you think that's a good use case for,
1: (laughs) uh, depends on the app depends on the idea. I think, you know, if you're talking utilities, a Chrome extension plugins, like sure that, you know, it just is a, it's a task doer. It's a thing that just does a simple function for you, but anything that requires creativity, brainstorming product development, customer feedback, like think of all the conversations we've had over the years, like hundreds, maybe thousands. And you just don't get that if it's not someone you can get on a zoom or Slack with that's accessible all the time. And you're only accessible all the time because you're invested in the outcome and you have high incentive. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think every, I think everyone thinks, I don't know what everyone thinks. It seems like that's a, at the perception is you can, just hack it together, get it built. And then you can take it from there. Whereas if it's SaaS, man, like there's always more to do. There's always bugs, like, unless it's a simple tool.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure there's great success stories of solo founders out there. I, but it seems like you mostly hear about either duos or trios, maybe more. If you listen to our first episode, we talked about how there's originally four founders of this company yep. and, um, you can go back and listen to like that and necessarily work out but um yeah it, it just seems to favor having a couple people at least um definitely exceptions to the rule and i think if you're that kind of individual like you said that's just um your personality lends itself to being solo making all the decisions um i think we kind of tend maybe we're biased obviously yeah. we're biased what we're saying all right Assume now going forward for us as podcast that like, yeah, you want co-founders. Now we can talk about, all right, how do you find good co-founders? What do you look for?
1: Oh, one Um, other, one other caveat. I will say if you bring in, if you, if you're focused on bringing in early leaders and giving them equity and profit sharing and and high incentive, like partial ownership, like very small ownership, not technically a co-founder. I think that, I think that could work well. That could be, if you're, if you're really invested in building them up and spending a lot of time with them and teaching them, you know, everything, you know, or everything, you know, that you've learned, maybe that could, I think that works well. You
0: did touch the one in like
1: incentive. And I think there was something to us
0: being 50, 50 on this, where we just kind of knew like, yeah, we'll both be working just as hard because the outcomes will be the same. Whereas if it was like, Hey, I've like 90% of the ownership, but here's like a small salary percent <laughs> of whatever this becomes are
1: you going to be as invested as saying, Oh yeah, this is like half my company. True. Fair point. I think there's, it's, these things have to be carefully crafted to constantly adjust and scale up as the person's effort and buy-in scales up. Not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to deny that. Um, the incentive and
0: ownership piece and the subconscious even impacts that it might have on people's like buy-in, how much you are going to be putting forth in those early days. And, um, So it's something but obviously you know when we started out and each person having 25 percent ownership you and i bought in and the other two didn't and that's you know it's hard to say and we thought you know hey at least one of the guys we thought had all the personality traits that would make a good co-founder um i think life situation and bandwidth were the thing that we didn't consider so let's let's dive into the traits of good co-founders um that's the first spot is like is each person at a place in life where they're willing to just really commit to something. And I think that's, um, you can't you know force it if it's not there. If people are in a phase of life where they're like, I don't have enough you know money in the bank to necessarily take financial risks. Or, hey, I have like these big plans to do road trips around the country while starting a family. Hey, maybe not the best time to say, I'm gonna start this thing that's so much energy, so much dedication.
1: Um, so yeah, just spot in life. Right. That's so big. I'm so glad you brought that up as the first thing. Cause I wonder how much people dig into people's personal plans because it, it gets personal quickly, right. With like marriage, kids, dogs, travel, ideal life situation. So I think you have to ask those questions earlier than it feels comfortable to say, like, like truly, what are you envisioning for your next year or two? Where are you going to live? Are you going to move? Do you want to live in Costa Rica? Like I see so many founders just all over the world traveling. And I'm like, I would be so frustrated if we were in that first year and we had to make big decisions. And it's like, there's a 12 hour time difference. And then like you're trying and, and you're traveling on en route somewhere the next day. Yeah. I just, at least for our startup with how much it entailed, it would it wouldn't have worked. Oh, totally. And yeah, I even picture myself
0: like a few years younger, or like 10 years earlier, I would not have been a good co-founder because I was more interested in like traveling the world, spending three, four months abroad every year. Half the time I was off the grid. I didn't have an internet connection. I didn't have a phone. You know, it was just very much a a different lifestyle. I would have been a shitty co-founder back then, right? Because it wasn't what was a priority in my life. Whereas, you know, age 35, I had gotten a lot of that kind of out of the system as it were, or like checked, checked off those things in life. I was ready to start a family and worried about my financial future and saying, I need to devote myself to something so wholly and completely to have a certain outcome. I was like, I want to take care of the money problem. That's the goal. That's my priority in life. And that's what I'm willing to sacrifice for. And if I think people aren't willing to sacrifice stuff, they're like, oh, I want my awesome lifestyle and I'm going to do all these things, but we can start a company. That's a red flag right there.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly so related to that, but maybe a number two is, um, having a comfortable full-time job. I think that's such a trap and it's such a, uh, a common dynamic where you got a dev designer, product person, whatever, you name it, making 80, 90, hundred, 150. That is the trap of comfort. And so I think, having that talk of what their runway is personally that, which gets messy again, talking about asking someone what they got in the bank. But I think we got to normalize this stuff to say like that drives your decision-making that drives your panic button. If you have 50 grand in the bank, you're going to be able to operate with a calm head. Maybe if your expenses are low or whatever, you know?
0: Yeah. That's one of those things where people are like, Oh, that founder, he just started the company and got lucky. Nobody sees the years that he put away, he or she put away money to get in a position where they could throw themselves at a company and create their own luck. And, um, that's, you know, I, I can't stress enough that like, this is something that might take years of preparation to get to a successful SaaS that you can make potentially millions from. It's not just something where it's like, I have a good idea. It's, it's years of work preparing. It's years of work, making sound decisions day after day. And, um, yeah, I think people that are maybe looking from the outside don't understand that, don't see it.
1: That's why it makes so much money potentially, because it's so fucking hard. And it takes a long time. The slow ramp of death is what. What is that? I think it was Rob Walling or someone had an article that that was the first concept I'd heard of it. Where they're like, it just shows this graph that just like slowly goes up like this <laughs> over time, and they're saying it's that way because B two B, it's personal relationships. Usually, it's Big decisions that are hard to switch over, which means you're not just gonna put it out on Hacker News or Twitter and and get millions of people signing up right away or even thousands.
0: Yeah. But back Uh, to like
1: the comfortable job thing. mm -hmm. Like the being too comfortable with where
0: your life's at, that's not really fire for starting a company, is it? Nope. And you know, for some people. 80 90 100k even you know decent six figures isn't enough because they are thinking they want to do more they want to have more they want to have a different lifestyle you got to feel that fire though if you're talking to somebody and it's just like might be kind of cool to say i'm a founder but they don't have the fire the motivation behind it that's different it doesn't have to be monetary right somebody could just be like oh i just am so passionate about this industry and i will or i'm passionate about building a team building company building a product Having my name on something that I'm like totally in control and I, that I own—that's fire too. It doesn't have to be. I want to make millions of dollars. That's not True. even the best reason to to start a company. But I think yeah, comfort. If you're if somebody's kind of cruising, and like we've talked about in past episodes, the side hustle doesn't seem like a viable way to really get something off the ground. Uh, so yeah, absolutely, not being too comfortable.
1: I think if one of the reasons is time freedom or I want to work for myself. I don't think that's necessarily a a complete red flag, but I think if someone's already thinking about the fact that they get to travel or spend, you know, afternoons at the park before you've even made a dollar, gotten a customer, I, I don't like that passion as much as I'm a builder. I want to build community. I want to, you know, build a team. I want to put my dent in the universe, whatever. I want to change an industry. That's a stronger calling than I want time freedom and I don't want to take orders from anybody because there's times where you and I, we don't take orders from each other, but we defer to each other. And I think that's a form of compromise and certain founders, man, you, you could just feel how hard it could be to work with them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and yeah, we might not have a boss,
0: but we have like 5,500 bosses basically, you know, yeah. we, we, for years we're at the beck and call of all of our customers. Cause it was so fragile And yeah, now five years in, are we able to have afternoons at the park and have a little more freedom in life? Yeah. But we're still only taking a week or two of vacation a year. We're still in that grind mode. And so, yeah, in the long run, we're probably going to have amazing, you know, like second halves of our life and we're going to be very financially set up for the future. But man, it's a lot of work to get there. And if people are already thinking about the, you know, 10 years down the road, Yeah. Yeah. They have to think about it as five to 10 years down the road, not, oh, we start this company. And then like in a few months, I'm just living this awesome lifestyle because that's not how it works. So make sure that's a red flag when you're interviewing potential co-founders.
1: Yeah. And you just nailed it. Ask them what their vision is of how this could play out. So then you're on the same page of like, Oh, we release it and then we're just going to like hire a team and then chill. Okay. That's different than years of hard work and growing a team and showing up every day, every week. So that future vision has to be talked about before almost anything. Yeah. hundred percent. Maybe before the idea, maybe before you even start building.
0: Right. Yeah. I think the idea is like not that high on the list of, of things. It's who's willing to work hard. Who's willing to put themselves into something the idea can change. You can pivot, you can start something, decide to throw it away. But if you have a good co-founding team, you'll eventually find success. I believe. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Don't worry about the idea. And you know, whatever idea you have, hundreds of other people have the idea. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. It's how
1: hard you work. A couple other characteristics I think about um, competitiveness. Um, like you mentioned passion, but I think just like a fire desire for something else. So it's like, almost when you're disgruntled and maybe making not enough money, I I almost like that better than maybe someone that was so comfortable, great startup, maybe they have a quarter percent that could turn into, you know, a couple hundred thousand. That's more, the more comfort, I think the less it makes you want to take risks and dive all into something that's uncertain. And I very much view this as like the risk reward teeter-totter of life where it's like, okay, if it feels comfortable, you're foregoing huge upside. If it feels right. uncertain, there's a chance you'll have outpaced upside gains, right? Because it's not certain means nobody else is like jumping into it. So I think those competitive risk-taking people is, is kind of like who you want to kind of assess. And I don't know if you look at their history, like how do you assess that in someone? How would we assess that with our... You know. Well, it's funny.
0: Right. Cause I would have said, you know, like you look at my twenties and early thirties and it was like a series of just risks. Right. I was just mm-hmm. starting companies and trying these different things with some safety of having like building skill sets. But like, I don't know, what would you say? Because you were taking kind of corporate jobs, you were learning or earning. Like, how do you kind of say, like, I knew I had it in me to take this big risk.
1: I mean, I should maybe ask you that of why you thought I was a I was a, a good choice or a okay to do it with. But I think I, I wasn't just comfortable going through life working my way up the corporate ladder. Like I was in pain most days because I wasn't doing what we're doing now. And so I think it, if it's all you can talk about, it's all I was reading about. Anyone that would probably listen, I was probably always spitballing ideas with. So it was like bursting out of me. I think that's very different than someone who's kind of like, resigned or just been like, you know, I'll get my bump to 60 or 70 and kind of keep chipping away, but I'm not, I don't have a fire burning about anything. Whereas I was reading tech crunch every day at the time. Cause that was all I knew, but it was lots of nights of staying awake of like, how is this going to happen? Like, how can I make this happen? How can I get with someone else to make this happen or be a part of something else? Cause if that is how someone's talking and speaking and they ha- they're almost pissed off that they're not living that life. It's pretty big incentive. Right. Yeah. The
0: competitiveness, the drive. And I remember that year where you were just sending me TechCrunch articles. articles and like, dude, like, this is so what a, what a world I want to be part of that world. And because it persisted over time, I was like, Oh, okay. Like I'm going to move back to Denver and I'm going to start a company or two with my brother. Like that was something that was like, as like one of the reasons why I came back. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that has to be there. You have to feel that from somebody And sometimes that's more than just a few coffee meetings and like, oh, let's start a company together. I wouldn't recommend anybody start a company with somebody they haven't known for, gosh, a good amount of time, like go on, you know? And if you're trying to hustle and quickly find co-founders, invest so much time, so much time. You gotta like, it's like dating, hyper-dating, where you gotta like hang out every day for months just to be sure, because bad decisions, you're gonna end up wasting months more of life and lots of money potentially.
1: I love that idea. Like hyper date, maybe go on a trip together for a week, like treat it like you're going to get married because that's what it is. I really do believe. I mean, I spend probably just as much time with you as I do with Allie. Yeah, totally. So it's, you have to view it as such and and spend that time as opposed to just saying like, oh, you have skills because I think that's, that's going to be a given. You can find people that can build something that can sell something that can support something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The skills we can, we can talk about now, but yeah, risk tolerance has to absolutely be evaluated. And I haven't seen like official studies, but I'll be willing to bet like risk tolerance is one of the most highly correlated things with entrepreneurship, right? You have to be naively optimistic to be an entrepreneur because you just have to constantly get up and believe, even though you don't have any data yet, that you're going to just build this thing for maybe a year or more until you get validation. That takes a certain person that takes a certain mentality. And it's usually not the person that's like, I need a paycheck every two weeks. It's uh, somebody that can just grind away and hope that, you know, the future rewards will outweigh the efforts.
1: And someone that always thinks about why things can work as opposed to why they won't work. I think when you, Everyone has sounding board type friends or family, and if they're always the ones are like, oh well, Chipotle's doing that already, or Instagram's already doing that, that's probably not a person you want to believe in, like a naive vision that may or may not work out. That most, in most cases, won't work out. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so skill sets. I,
0: when we're talking about skill sets, I believe it's essential to have complementary skill sets. Uh, you know, you you can probably, I'm sure there's companies where it's like two developers started something, but I'll bet within that the developers had different facets or aspects of the personality that weren't just like the pure engineer. And so I don't know, like, what's, what's your mindset when it comes to like, all right, what skill sets need to be there? How do you, how do
1: they mesh? How do they overlap? This is, this is like such a hard one to talk about because I'm, I'm like, won the lottery having a brother as a technical co-founder, because if you're a non-technical person, finding a technical co-founder is the hardest thing because they're, you're more in demand. We need you guys more than you need us. And it's like, I think you have to, you, you got to go to networking events. You got to go to startup weeks, fly, fly to different places to go to startup events and meet as many technical potential co-founders as you can. Cause I, I don't, I don't know what it's like to try to outsource this stuff and have an agency. I have friends that are doing it. I have a friend that's doing it and he has a hundred grand in and um, he's, he's making it work and I think it can work, but man, it's so, it's hard to beat the speed at which you fix things, the speed at which you built things with just a Slack message. And then I'm now going back to the customer and they're refreshing after 24 hours that wins people over. So my advice is put yourself out there as much as possible and display that you have very marketable skills in, you know, learn how to sell, learn how to learn SEO, um, you know, learn, take empathy classes on customer service, like make yourself kind of a rock star in those areas. So then you can go to a techno co-founder and say, Oh, you don't want to talk to customers or you don't want to sell. I got you. Like I will do that. Yeah.
0: So, and and for me, and maybe, you know, like, yes, I feel like I'm a, of social and personable developer and I have that, but like, it's never been my inclination to do sales marketing, you know, record videos, just really put myself out there. I never had the thick skin to like, just call people repeatedly and really like, or, you know, win something over from them. Like, you know, that attention that's, that's a different mindset, I think. And that's the skills that I think most developers probably would say, yeah, that's not me. I'd rather be like building tinkering, fixing. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that you need both sides like the technical and the human side to, to boil it down as simply as possible and the human side. Yeah. That eventually turns into your sales, your marketing, your SEO, your, all the stuff that might be customer facing versus all the stuff that's just building the product. And so I think it's essential. and, And yeah, we know people like, like Mike, that we mentioned earlier that, He's great with people. He's great talking to people and he's an amazing engineer too. And he kind of had all of it in one, but still, I think one of his first hires was somebody to talk to customers because at the end of the day, the engineer, I think, has so many demands on him in the early stage. And so, yeah, those the the mesh of skill sets, so
1: necessary. Yeah, and you you and Mike, our, our buddy, are two, I think, unicorns where it's like you guys could, you guys are the types that could, start and run your own company, the timeline might be longer because like, you're getting back to less customers because you're having to take away time to build. And then maybe that flow goes slower or that, you know, that build up is slower, but you guys could have done it. I think I,
0: I would, I would disagree because I tried, right. I made some iPhone games that I was like, I was too enamored with the process of designing them and building them that I never marketed them. And I just they <laughs> will come. And I always knew like, Oh, I should do some stuff to promote it. But like, I, the engineer mindset in me just kind of took over and it's really hard to like split your time and say, I'm going to put in that time when your inclination is to do the engineering. It's like being right-handed and saying, I'm always going to use my left hand. I'm always going to use my left hand, but you just keep finding, you're picking stuff up with your right hand. It's, there's, there's inclinations, even if people are good at multiple things, I think there's like a pull more towards something, right. and that's something that everybody should be kind of aware of. And yeah, you work on it, you get better over time. I think I've become a lot more comfortable with doing stuff like this podcast and videos and talking to customers directly and doing sales calls. But um, it's it, early on. I just want to keep building, and so you have to figure out like what are people's inclinations. And if you have two engineers that just want to keep building, you might not end up selling anything.
1: That's a good point because you know you think of those hours you spend on demos or phone calls or the early support like that. Those are the things that make people talk about you to others. And it's hard to do that if you're, it, cause then when you're doing that, you're not writing code. And then that next feature or bug fix doesn't happen for maybe a week or two. And then that customer is like, oh man, then I'm, I'm going to have to just wait around for this. Whereas we were hitting it on both fronts. Like I'm on the phone, I'm on chat, I'm answering whatever you're building it. And they're feeling like, they feel like there's five of us and there's really just two of us, you know, and that, that's the power I think of. Multiple founders. Yeah, and uh, and I think
0: the the thing of a fractured mind, like it's really hard to shift gears from like I'm building now I'm on a sales call, and it's doable, but you just you know the whole time you're writing code you're like oh what time is it is it time for my sales call ah uh, yeah <laughs> when you're on the sales call you're like oh I, I can build this I, let me think about how to build it and then you're not paying attention to the person as well, and so. I think it's doable. And I think there's many people out there that have the skill sets and whatever, but is it the best? Is it the most efficient? That That's a question to ask. Maybe you don't need to move fast in your niche, but maybe you do. And that might be the thing to consider is can somebody be out there selling the thing while the other person's building? And then, yeah, later on, you end up, you know, maybe roles bleed into each other. You started building websites. I started doing sales calls, but initially having like technical, non-technical, Go.
1: Yep. I think it's so important. Yep. Um, let's see. What else you got here? Skill sets, understand oh. each other's motivations. So <laughs> I think the biggest, we should
0: have mentioned this way earlier on, the biggest skill for any co-founding team has to be communication. Mm-hmm. If there's not, then it's all going to fall apart, 100% guaranteed. And um, yeah, it, it. I don't know first, what's your thoughts on just like, what, what does good communication look like between co-founders?
1: Having saying, having hard conversations, saying things that you're thinking and um, being transparent about, you know, you have like motivations and capacity. I think not leading each other on like, cause the mentality of startup, right. is like, take on more. You can always do more. And you know, we're going to, dominate the world tomorrow and yeah i can do that i can do that instead of saying you you were so good at this saying like that's not a priority right now we'll get to that later like let's focus on you know today and um and i think being honest with each other when we have little breakdowns and times where we're burnt out and need to get away so that's all communication and so i think being honest is it gets harder because you know you want to appease each other or brothers and so like it, there's so much swirling around in there so I, I think it's just the style in which you communicate and calmly not letting things blow up so i think calm yeah. concise communicators that are empathetic to boil it down and egoless i think we've had co-founder friends that or friends that
0: are starting their own companies and they talk about their co-founder just like we'll tear into them someday and just like say shitty things. And then the next day be like, all right, so let's get back to work. And (laughs) it's like any other relationship where there's certain things that can't be on Do people have control of their own emotions? Can they get their ego out of it? Can they look at the big picture? Can they be empathetic to where the other person is at and the load that might be on them? Those are all, not just communication, but just good human skills, probably empathy being at the core of them. And yeah, if somebody can't be those things, that's gonna be a massive distraction at best and the end of your company at worst when just like emotions are too negative, the path forward just isn't gonna happen. That's where, yeah, some of the people that work for us now used to be in other SaaS businesses where they just were like, dude, my co-founder just isn't whatever it is, not disciplined enough, not driven enough, not focused enough, can't communicate well, isn't empathetic, doesn't take care of me, doesn't feel like they have my back. All those things are why SaaS usually fails.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and when you put it that way, it makes sense why most companies fail because day-to-day decisions, bad um, poor decisions, pissing people off—that that's so easy when you don't have a majority of those those traits kind of in your, just in your fiber of who you are. So it takes, I guess, critically thinking about someone and in their in their upbringing and who they are and, and how they are in other aspects of life maybe and their, their friend, what their friendships are like, what's relationship with their family. Like it's a full diagnosis, like oh, a full examin- examination.
0: It has to be. And yeah, just kind of their personal journey. Like I think 10 years ago, also I, I would have been a shitty co-founder. I wasn't able to commit to things. I had too much ego. It was too about like, me, 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 I'm, I'm, I deserve this, right? I, I, I'm smarter and so I, I'm entitled to this. And um, I had to do a lot of work on myself. A lot of, I think my grad degree in, in counseling was like personal work of like <laughs> demons. Yeah. And I think that's why you see that your average successful founder is like in their late thirties to mid forties because there's just a lot of personal work that needs to happen. We've met very mature 20-somethings that have done a lot of that work and maybe they have adverse life circumstance that forced them to grow up faster in their years. But um, it's really hard, I think, to do some of the stuff that gets you in the right position to, ba- to do these big, deep things, to have big commitments in life that you see through and that you're empathetic with everybody that you're around. That's, that's the hard work. That's why it's not just, oh, well, he built this awesome company it's like oh he worked on himself or herself for years to be in a position to
1: build an awesome company yep that's why i believe the bootstrap sweet spot is exactly 30 30 to 40 whereas you see a lot of vc backed obviously much younger because they get guidance from these very seasoned you know vc firms and people that have worked with hundreds of founders okay that's different whereas when you're bootstrapped like there's so much internal internals at work there's so yeah. much vulnerability that's needed. And I think it's hard to have that when you're younger.
0: Ooh, vulnerability. Let's dive more into that word. Cause I think that's so such a needed thing within the context of a co-founding team. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier how people can like truly say, Hey, this is a hard time for me. I'm feeling like burnout. I, you know, this is where I'm at, like being able to admit weakness um and yes a lot of startups are persevering through weakness a lot of startups is like oh I'm beat down but I'm going to keep pushing but yeah being able to be supportive of each other requires that vulnerability requires saying hey this is something that maybe I'm not doing well right now what can we do about it and um gosh and then that vulnerability just leads into aspects of leadership being trusted by your early employees it's a very underrated skill in the business world that I know in like my counseling psychology masters was like the core of it all.
1: I think it's the core of our company because when we talked to our first prospective customer, what was one of our favorite lines? We were just like, Hey, we have the dev and the marketing and the the sales skills. Like you're the home inspector. Like we don't know everything. And so like we would, we would build features and our first line would be like, we'd love your feedback because we don't know it all we don't have it figured out. And that's from a p- customer product side, that's vulnerability, and so that bleeds into us with each other of kind of knowing our weaknesses or knowing what we need to hire. Um, you being vulnerable with me when it when you would push a feature and things things w- wouldn't work or break, and then me coming back and uh, and telling you that I don't <laughs> I can't handle all these customers all these chats at once; it's getting overwhelming or whatever. Those moments we had each other's backs, and I think like if you don't say those things, how does the other person know? You need; they need to support you. Yeah, huge
0: empathy, vulnerability, communication—constant theme in this podcast. Constant theme, I believe, with success in general. Um, all right, so maybe we talk just briefly about the question: Should you work with friends or family? Obviously, we're a little biased because we <laughs> work with each other. Some of our earliest hires were were friends or people that we've known through um, the different communities that we're in. But, um, after talking about all these traits, I got to say, like, I don't think it matters if your friends or family, I think what matters is all these other things we talked about. And if those things are there, they might be a good co-founder. And if they're not, they probably won't be
1: regardless of your background, your blood, whatever it is. Yeah, I agree. Doesn't matter. You have, you have a pretty great friend group. If you can find all those things and friends and end up working with them or, or hiring them, that's great. I, I... I think most people have that. Um, everyone said, Oh no, I could never do that. It's like, well, you could, if I think you had friends or family that checked all those boxes and then it just works because communications, their expectations are set, you know, so much that just leads to dissatisfaction is just wiped away. You know, we've had, we've had a, a tough go or two or tough situations or conversations with, you know, acquaintances, friends that have, that have worked for us or, or come in and out. So it's not, not all roses and rainbows, but it could be done. I think the narrative is that it, don't do it. It's bad. Just which is dumb. Any blanket advice is going to be silly. Right?
0: Yeah.
1: And I think with, with friends or especially with family, you have just way more data
0: as like a, a history as like, um, on how to make these decisions. Do you see all of these traits in them over time across multiple aspects of their life? If so, that's a super positive sign that's really hard to pick up if you're just interviewing somebody for a few hours and like deciding if you want to start a business with them. That to me feels way more risky than like, Hey, here's this person I've known for years. I see all these things. We're in the same spot in life. It's same goals, motivations. Let's start a business together. That feels way more sound than, you know, totally. the other thing.
1: Yeah. So that's a good point. I, I like the way you phrase that of maybe reflecting back on the years of you knowing someone and saying like, huh, they always, did the right thing when they were in kind of a pickle or they were always kind to people or they? Oh wow. Yeah, he did the that side hustle for a few years and made it work and didn't seem like he couldn't, like he couldn't handle it or she couldn't handle it. So that's a good way of, of evaluating. I think if any of your friends you could work with is look backwards, look at what you know about their history.
0: Yeah. And I think we were able to talk because it, it wasn't all roses. Like we started a t-shirt company. I think at one point it felt like you kind of bailed on it. You got a job and then it just was like kind of neglected. And I was like, Oh, we didn't really communicate well about that. Mm-hmm. I felt a little slighted, and so then when we were starting Spectora, we talked about it. And we made sure we like learned from that, got on the same page, and like made sure everything else was in alignment so that it wasn't going to happen again. Right. Yep. But yeah. Obviously, the teacher company was never going to be lucrative. It was very like to me that was like our practice company together. Right. We got to learn a lot through it, which was a great thing overall. Um, And so i'm not saying like hey just because there's like a blip or a red flag in the past with a long friendship or family member it should be like excluded in the future to me it's that process how are you talking about it how are you learning from it? how are you communicating about it and um that's the bigger sign is wow we we learn well together we communicate well together and it's just going to keep getting better and better um obviously you risk you know if things go south you risk potentially losing a friend, you know, making family get togethers like bad or non-existent. But um, I guess you should ask yourself, is this the kind of person where things could just blow up? Is this the kind of person that just walks away from shit and just is like, let, lets it go to pieces. And if they are, well, shit, don't do business with them. <laughs> right. That, right. It feels like that kind of risk um, that that's a sign
1: too. Yeah. I don't have anything more to say on that. That's, that's, yeah. that's pretty much covers it. Cool. All right. Well, that is it. That is
0: what we have to say about choosing co-founders. Um, real quick. I also want to mention, you, you talked about going to conferences, meeting other people. We just decided we're going to Saster for the October conference in San Francisco or San Mateo technically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, what is that first week of October? So if any listeners are attending that and want to hang out, we're going to, um, be looking forward to getting to know more SaaS founders.
1: Cool, good, good call. Yeah, hit us up. We'll uh, we'll meet up. All right, all right. Later. Y'all,
0: see you next week.